Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Definitely thinks back to <laughs> I think back to when I was that young. And, um, there's not many games that I can remember when I was 20 years old or 19 or even 18. So, um, you know, first of all, congratulations to him. I think he's going to be a really, really good point guard in our league. Probably a great point guard. He continues to work on his craft, which uh, it seems like he does. Uh, so, uh, you know, they got a good one. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where although the Lakers came out of their East Coast road trip 0-3 and their overall road trip to 1-3, they did manage to notch Alonzo Ball triple-double, a move-up in defensive rating to fourth, and an increase in female fans for Jordan Clarkson. Because like Jordan Clarkson says, the women don't like it when he's down. And just like Jordan, Clark- and just like Jordan Clarkson, we do this podcast mainly for the women. Isn't that right, Tommy? That's right. Actually, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> this this podcast drives the women away, but you know what? It doesn't matter. The Lakers got a win out in Phoenix. It seems like that was their only bright spot in this road trip. Jordan Clarkson balled out. The Lakers are going to be back home against Philadelphia. Even in spite of the 0-3 road trip in the East Coast, the Lakers are 6-8, and and they are actually better than the Clippers, who, after losing to the Philadelphia 76ers last night, are now 5-7. and So all is not lost, exactly. All is not lost despite that rough patch. Tommy, how are you feeling about the Lakers even after that little East Coast road swing? And the episode prior, 
to that road swing. We were praising Luke Walton, talking about how, you know, the Lakers were turning a corner. Seems like they had, they had settled into a groove. And then the 0-3 happened. Um, we got a little bounce back last night against the Suns. But I guess, how are you feeling about the Lakers? Any any more down or up than usual? Or, or are you still kind of steady, Eddie? I'm steady Eddie, but I think, uh, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to say that because it's, it sounded funny. Um, no, I think I'm exactly the same, if not slightly higher on the Lakers than I was before the trip because, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I thought they were in every single game. Um, with the, ex- I mean, I thought they played, the only overall bad game I thought they played was against the Wizards, but that was second night of a back to back against the number three seed in the East on the road. You know, so like that's kind of understandable to me. And I don't know. I just thought that they looked good in all the games, even the ones they lost and the ones they lost, they lost for a good reason. And uh, which we'll get into not a good reason, but they lost for very obvious reasons. And um, the, uh, before in our last episode, before we uh, got on the road trip, I think we talked about, Oh, in the next three, if they go one and two, that would be really good. So oh and three is like not that far from from one and two, and like they were in every single game. Their defensive rating went up on their road trip, which like the yep. sign of an inconsistent defensive team is they can only maintain it at home. And they feed off the home crowd's energy and you know, the slightly uh favorable calls from the ref and refs and all and because uh, they're at home and all that kind of stuff. So their defensive rating was went up. It got better, actually, against these teams that they don't really see that often. Um, and their first East Coast road trip of the season for a team that, you know, their starting lineup is almost all guys that are 24 or younger. So, uh, yeah, very I – thought, I thought it was good. I don't know. Maybe I haven't been following NBA Twitter or our Twitter page enough, but uh, I, I thought overall <laughs> it was good. Yeah, I agree with you. Outside of a rough start in Boston, you know, the Lakers really fought back, showed some fight in that game and made it close till the end there. The Washington game, you can kind of just throw away just because second night of a back to back, we had beaten Washington in one of our best young core wins at home, you know, a few weeks earlier. So they were out for blood. Um, the Lakers just weren't in it that entire night. They didn't have the energy. And then the Milwaukee game, honestly, the Lakers could have won that game. They just kind of relinquished things in the fourth quarter. But that is the game that Lonzo Ball also had a triple-double, becoming the youngest ever, you know, beating LeBron James out by a couple days to be the youngest ever to get a triple-double. So obviously, even with the loss... Wait, sorry, what did you say? I said future teammates. (laughs) Future teammate, exactly. And LeBron James even praised Lonzo Ball, the future king, the young young king. Um, and even in spite of the fact that Lonzo Ball's brother is in jail in China, or I don't even know what's going on with that. <laughs> he's back now. Uh, okay, he's back now. That's great. Um, Lonzo Ball's still doing big things. Kyle Kuzma, he had some rough patches here and there along the road trip. It was nice he to did. see him bounce back against uh, Milwaukee. And then even last night, even though he only had like 13 points or so, he had some clutch three-pointers and played yeah. pretty good defense. I mean, everybody played really good defense against Phoenix last night. So... I mean, it was an up and down kind of road trip, you know, only one in four. But at the end of the day, like you said, the losses can be kind of one explained away. One in three. The losses can be explained away by one, Boston's just a really good team. I think they're on like yeah. a 12 game winning streak. 13. 
yeah, Washington's a really good team, and we faced them on the second night. And then Milwaukee's also a really good team. They got Eric Bledsoe. That was Eric, Eric Bledsoe's introduction to the lineup there. So, I mean, it was going to be tough regardless, and the fact that the Lakers were in it is a positive sign. We will get into the problems with the rotation a little bit later and also talk about Julius Randle. Um, but yeah, I think overall... Could it have been better? Yeah, but I'm not too down on the Lakers, and they have a bit of a home stretch here that they can really take advantage of playing Phoenix again on Friday as well. Um, So yeah, before we get deeper into things, um, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us on iTunes, the more women will like Jordan Clarkson. And the more women that like Jordan Clarkson, that usually means that Jordan Clarkson is continuing to play well and continuing to be super efficient and shoot the lights out in limited minutes. And we all want that. Also, if you could visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast, donate a dollar, donate two dollars, a one-time donation, or choose to be a monthly sponsor, that would be great. And I think we're at 208 reviews on our quest to get 5,000 ratings and reviews. So if you could help us out in that department, that would be great as well. So I guess we could go more deeply into the the Phoenix Suns game. Oh, I do want to bring up one thing um, with regards to Lakers news. Um, Tommy, how do you feel about having two Kuzes on the team? A Kuz-Kuz duo. <laughs> feel pretty good about it. Oh, you do? Because the New York Knicks just waved Mindagas Kuzminkas. Kuzminkas! <laughs> so there's actually, I, I I don't know if it was an official report, but um, the Lakers were linked to possibly maybe claim Kuzminkas after he clears waivers. Um, Kuzminkas was pretty solid for the Knicks last year. He just hasn't been able to crack the rotation this year. He's a wing player who can, you know, play make. He's pretty sound, pretty fundamental. If we're looking for a Corey Brewer savior or someone to push Corey Brewer out, although, you know, that's debatable given how well he's been able to play against the Suns and beat Devin Booker. Um, <laughs> Kuzminkas could be a solve to that, you know, but it seems, I mean, Corey Brewer is only good against the Suns. So for every <laughs> other game, <laughs> for every other game, not Suns related, Kuzminkas could be the solve here. So I guess, do you have any thoughts on, uh, bringing in another Kuz? Uh, bring in Kuzminkas, I'm definitely not opposed to. I'm not sure who we would cut at this stage. Um, you know, maybe that's a conversation for a different time, but, uh, I like, I think Kuzminkas is like, he's not amazing, but he's solid and he addresses one of our, actually not one of our, our biggest weakness right now, which is three point shooting. Uh, Kuzminkas can hit some threes, as unless I'm thinking of the wrong guy. <laughs> he he shoots threes, right? No, no, I'm insecure. I think he does. Are you thinking about Ron Baker? I, I haven't really looked at Kuzminkas a lot. I just know he's solid, but I th- I'm pretty sure he shoots threes. He's European, so yes, not to be super must. stereotypical. Uh, yeah, he shot. I mean, he look. He shot 32 percent on making about one three a game. In 15 minutes played last year, and he ta- he in 15 minutes he was taking two and a half a game, so he can shoot it. Uh, unlike Corey Brewer, who literally cannot shoot a three at all. Like I know he said he worked on his outside shooting over the off season, but that guy, well, he's made one three like the entire season. It feels like he's shooting 11 percent, and he takes point six a game. So. Imagine all those times the ball got passed out to Corey Brewer for a wide open three and it led to like a 
failed drive attempt or like a turnover. I'm just saying like having a guy who's a threat to potentially shoot at three is at, at the wing position is not, is not a bad thing. So I'm not opposed to uh, uh, going after Kuzminkas if they can get him. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Corey Brewer is seemingly the only lone, especially with Larry Nance out, the lone wing bench player to come in for Brandon Ingram. So any additional help or any other alternative option we can have is always a good thing. But like you said, I don't know necessarily who they'd cut. So if the Lakers do manage to claim him, that'll be an interesting scenario. I'm guessing it'll be Vander Blue. You know, that makes the most sense to me. He's a two-way contract, though. Oh, he is? Can they not cut that? They can cut him, but... I mean, they're, they're, uh, the issue is the guaranteed spots, right? Because yeah. they can't sign Kuzminkas to a two-way contract. So uh, they would have to cut like somebody like, for example, Tyler Ennis. Um, but then that, it, oh, yeah. again, it raises another issue because if you cut Tyler Ennis, then we don't really have another guard after Clarkson. So it, it, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, they would not cut Zubots. They would not cut Thomas Bryant. These are all guaranteed contracts who don't play. They wouldn't cut Josh Hart, guaranteed contract. Um, Ennis would be the only guy I think they could potentially cut. Yeah, let's do it. Cut Ennis, more <laughs> Josh Hart minutes. I'm, I'm pretty sure Kuzmikas could probably even the run, run the offense a little better. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, until there's any more concrete news, we won't dwell on it too much. But I think at the end of the day... It wouldn't hurt at all, especially yeah. at the wing position, which we're pretty there's, – there's a dearth there for the Lakers. Yeah. Um. So with that said, we're going to get into more of the road trip and specifically Lonzo Ball's triple-double and the most recent game against the Suns last night. But before we do that, um, we're going to hear from our sponsors in just a second, and we'll catch you guys on the turn. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. All right, so we are back, and let's dwell a little bit more on the Suns game, Tommy. Um, That was our one bright spot, literally our one Sun spot, bright spot against Phoenix. Corey Brewer came out to play once again. Um, It's the only game that Corey Brewer comes out to play. That's the game he hit his one three-pointer, and... You know, Luke Walton, all of a sudden, after three games of like, oh, should we have been praising him all along, looked like a genius once again versus the Phoenix Suns playing this weird Andrew Bogut, Julius Randle lineup that was amazing defensively and amazing offensively. Julius Randle after the game was even like, yeah, I love playing with Andrew Bogut because he's a really good, you know, point guard center on defense and also a, a good playmaking center and it really helped me out. Um, and then obviously Corey Brewer really locking down, um, Devin Booker once again in the fourth quarter. And that weird starting, it wasn't the starting lineup, but that weird closing lineup that Luke Walton had to end the game last night. They, you know, I think they had the Lakers biggest lead and they held it the longest as well for the last seven minutes. You know, it was Jordan Clarkson, 
Brandon Ingram, Corey Brewer, Kyle Kuzma, and Brooke Lopez. A little bit strange given the way that the game had been going, but, you know, give credit to Luke for sticking with Corey Brewer, for sticking with Jordan Clarkson. Some people might be wondering how come Lonzo Ball wasn't in the game? Why wasn't KCP in the game? But give him credit. I mean, it worked again. Corey Brewer hit a clutch three. He was scrappy. He was active. He was diving for loose balls. He was creating havoc for the Suns. And at the end of the day, that was the Lakers' best lineup to close. So definitely give a shout out to Jordan Clarkson. You know, the ladies once again, FTW for the women, for the win for Jordan Clarkson. (laughs) Um, Clarkson had like 25 points, was super efficient. Everything he was throwing up was swishing. It was funny that Stu Lance kept mentioning his pregame warmups and how he was hitting everything. And that was almost prophetic. It came to pass. Jordan Clarkson, I've never seen Jordan Clarkson... I don't remember the last game Jordan Clarkson was that hot. You know what I mean? So it was nice to see him. Yeah, nice to see him be a flamethrower out there against the Suns. And then Kyle Kuzma hit some clutch threes. So, But at the end of the day, that Phoenix game was very, very sloppy. I mean, I think sloppiness can categorize the Lakers' whole road road trip, really. You know, them turning the ball over. It was an ugly win, but the Lakers pulled it out mainly because of tough, scrappy defense, and also they started hitting the three-pointers. I think the Phoenix game was the first game that the Lakers finally started hitting shots. Um, KCP hit a bunch, Jordan Clarkson, obviously, Kyle Kuzma, Brooke Lopez, Corey Brewer hit a three, Julius Randle hit a three, and I think that was the big difference. Um, But mostly it was the on the defensive end that really carried the Lakers, especially given the fact that the Phoenix Suns are one of the few teams that outpace the Lakers, you know, one of the right. few teams that play faster than them. And somehow they held them to 93 points. So yeah. What are your thoughts on last night's game against Phoenix? They played, they played very well. I mean, I don't know if we're the type of team where you can say any game is like, Oh, that's a game we should have won. Um, but Phoenix, I think we match up with them pretty well. We kind of, we kind of do what they're trying to do, but we do it a little bit better. Like, I think we play at a fast pace. Like you said, they're slightly faster, but, um, our defense is just so much better. So it's like, when you're talking about like, oh, the pace difference is Phoenix is two and we're three in the NBA, but then defensively, Phoenix is like 27th and we're fifth. Because of those reasons and because of like kind of how we like to play, um, I I thought that this was a game we probably should have won, but it's one thing to say it and it's one thing to go out there and hold a team that plays this fast to 38% shooting, um, which is what we did. And that includes Devin Booker just like going off, shooting 28 shots, like almost a third of his team shots and shooting over 50%. So that means like we shut down everybody else basically. Beyond that, the only other observation I had was uh, the lineup, the bench lineup with Bogut and Randall playing together. Um, I thought it worked and it wasn't bad and it was definitely good defensively uh, because Randall has shown that he can really play both positions defensively at this point, the power forward and the and the five. But that lineup had like no spacing when they played the two of them together. But I'll give props to Andrew Bogut because... He's not going to get used every single night. Phoenix is one of the few teams in the NBA that brings a backup center like Alex Len off the bench, just like a huge tank type of guy. Um, And Alex Len is not a talented player. He is literally just like a brute enforcer. Like he is, has like his touch is not good. Um, He doesn't really have like post skills. Like, we switch a lot. So sometimes he would be stuck on like these small guys and he has no way of taking advantage of it. 
that being said, he is still a ginormous beast. So when you have a guy out there like that, you have to counteract it or else he's going to go off and, you know, rebounds and just disrupting everything. So Andrew Bogut came in, doesn't play every single night, 16 minutes. And in 16 minutes, he somehow had seven rebounds and two blocks. Um, and beyond that, he does a very good, you see him like kind of directing everybody defensively. Um, so, you know, I think the the main shout outs that I had were besides Clarkson, who you already said, Bogut, um, and obviously Brewer, Brewer for his defense on Devin Booker. Uh, but yeah, overall good game. Uh, I disagree that it was the only bright spot of the trip, but I, I think it was, it was a good game overall. Sure. Yeah, with with regards to the Suns game, with the Bogut lineup thing and the Brewer thing, I'm glad that it worked out again for Luke. I'm almost in the mindset of, let's quit while we're ahead. Um, I don't mind Bogut coming in here and there, but I hope it's just, I hope it's based off of the matchups. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we don't play Bogut too much when it's not necessary. Because yeah. I think that was one of the first, I think we played Bogut again against the the Celtics as well. Um, that time I, I felt like it hurt the Lakers when Bogut came in against the Celtics. It did. But my counter there was again, I think it's, it's matchup dependent. So against the Celtics, the Celtics had, um, what's his name who lit us up for like 21 points. What's that guy? The Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines is like similar to Alex Len, except he actually has skills offensively. Um, so I totally agree with you that it hurt us in that game because that one specific matchup was not as significant as as what we lost by not having Randall in there. So especially because we were having a hard time scoring. Um, but you look at the next two games, Washington, they don't bring a huge center behind uh, Gortat off the bench. Bogut didn't play. Milwaukee, they kind of bring these like stretch type bigs you know, Thon Maker and guys like that off the bench. We didn't play Bogut. Bogut didn't play against Memphis uh, because they don't play anyone like giant behind Gasol. So I think he is using him situationally. And to me, it's not really a concern. I agree. Kind of going to jump around a little bit here. I think we should focus in more on the players and then just talk about their games overarching or the, the span of their games. Um, what did you think of Brandon Ingram during this stretch? Just because he started off really strongly against Boston, you know, seven for 11, um, had 18 points, seven rebounds, one assist, two steals, looked really good against Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, um, was nifting his way into the, knifing his way into the lane, hitting layups and everything like that. And then as the road trip carried on, he kind of sputtered out, you know, three for eight, two for 10 last night, two for nine against the Phoenix Suns team that doesn't really play that well defensively at all. Right. Um, so yeah, what have, have you, do you think Brandon Ingram has regressed a little? He's still played the same amount of minutes, you know, around 35 or so. Um, what do you contribute his struggles to? And do you just think it's just natural part of the season for him? I think it's two things. I think one, it's natural growing process. Uh, Brandon Ingram's 20 years old. And although he's played like a significant role in a full season in the NBA, that's, I'm not going to like downplay that. Like, oh, he's just new, but he is the same age as like many uh, rookies who were drafted this year after their freshman year of college. You know, like Lonzo Ball is, is uh, barely old or uh, younger than Brandon Ingram. Um, so I think it's, it's part of it is just the ups and downs of a developing player. I think the second part of it is fatigue. 
because he had run off like several games in a row where he was playing very, very, very well. Um, on you know, in that uh, when we were at home for a while, uh, right before the road trip started, he he dropped twenty on Memphis. Um, in the games before that, he was shooting very efficiently, was putting up you know fifteen to eighteen points. Um, Boston game, like you said, first game of the road trip after two days of rest, he had a very good game. And then, boom, all of a sudden, back-to-back, it started to taper off, and I just don't think he ever recovered. And I guess, like, to throw in a third factor, um, to throw in a third factor, we got to the Bucks game where it's like, okay, he had one night off, which, after all, again, all the, I'm not trying to make excuses for people. I understand every team has to do this, but after one night off, after the Washington game, they're in Milwaukee playing the Bucks, and... That is just not a good matchup for him because the Bucks have length at every position. Yep. And they contest everything at the rim. And right now, Brandon Ingr- Ingram's bread and butter is he wants to get to the rim. And when you have guys like that who are contesting that aggressively at the rim and like being physical, like that's not his his strength right now. This guy needs to gain about like 25 pounds, which is just going to ha- come with time. So I think that explains part of the taper there. And then, you know, like I said, again, maybe Phoenix potentially fatigue again. Just it's been a long trip. And I, I fully expect him to bounce back in the, in the next couple games at home. Yeah, I agree. I think in the Milwaukee game, like you said, he had a couple of his shots sent back because, you know, Thon Maker is super long. Giannis is obviously super long. And they were just yeah. usually the same shots he'd get. Which is funny because he was able to do it against Gobert, which probably lends itself to your line of thinking. Maybe he was just tired because he was able to get around guys like Gobert and Marcus Gasol pretty easily. But yeah, Milwaukee came at him from so many different angles and that team is just super long. So I could see how he struggled there. Um, and yeah, the Phoenix thing might just be explained away by fatigue. So I'm not too worried about Brandon Ingram as well. What sucks is that his free throw shooting has tapered off as well. Um, yeah. The the jump shot is just not there right now. He, he doesn't seem confident in taking it. He hasn't been taking a lot of three-pointers either. Um, maybe just chalk it up to this being the road trip stretch of things, and hopefully he settles back into a groove when he, uh, coming back home. Um, but yeah, hopefully we, we could use a Brandon Ingram bounce back game. Yeah, because right I was, now. I mean, like, I'm looking at the schedule, and it's like starting at that Utah game, which was the 28th, through November 8th, which is like not an insignificant amount of time. That's like two full weeks. Um, or yeah, just about two weeks. I, I thought he, he was hitting his mid range jumper. He hit several threes in that time frame. He was hitting his, uh, at most of those games, he was hitting his free throws. He looked a lot more confident. I don't think it's a, it should come as a surprise that most of those games were at home. Um, you know, with these younger guys, it's like, with with the exception of like Kuzma because that guy's just unreal. <laughs> I think these younger guys all like they it's part of being young in the NBA. They all play with more energy when they're at home. They kind of feed off the support of the home fans and and so I think that all factors in. Yeah, for sure. So don't freak out about Brandon Ingram. Um let's talk about Lonzo Ball. So Lonzo Ball obviously had that historic triple-double, the youngest player ever to get a triple-double against Milwaukee, where he had 19 points, 13 assists, 12 rebounds, 3 steals, 4 blocks. I mean, just a complete all-around game from him. That was also his first game shooting above 50%, shooting 7 for 12, 
hit three of five from three. Um, it was it was a great game for him, and you know the, that's undisputable. Um, the rest of the road trip was pretty. I mean, it's it's kind of been the tale with Lonzo, right? Like it's good that he continues to shoot, but the road trip he was four for fifteen against Boston, three for twelve against Washington, three for ten against Phoenix last night. Although I thought he played pretty well against Phoenix. Uh, turnovers aside. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on the Lonzo Ball triple double and just I guess this last stretch in general? I think he, I think he's slowly starting to find his way. Um, he's not shying away from taking the shots. Um, he's still passing the ball, obviously. He's getting a little sloppy here and there. Uh, the one thing that I am obviously very um, encouraged by is his continued activity on defense, as you see by the steals numbers, blocks, block numbers, but also I think. Pete Zayas or some other people threw out um, Lonzo Ball's ranking, uh, defensive ranking amongst point guards, and he ranks around pretty at the top, right? Like, yeah, top 10. I, I He's like eight or nine or something in the entire NBA yeah. as a point guard defender. As a point guard, as a rookie. So that's really great to see, obvious. And then you, you can see even just from the eye test how active and solid he's been. Um, on that end, and I think that's why you can kind of keep him out there in, in spite of the fact that he's missing shots. One, because of his defense, and then two, because he continues to run the offense really well and push the, push the pace and get the, get the ball out there. So yeah, what are your thoughts on Lonzo Ball's, from a field goal percentage standpoint and, and point standpoint, very uneven road trip? And are you encouraged by the triple double? And, uh, do you, do you see this? Do you see him like continuing to shoot around like 35% for the foreseeable future? Um, Okay, so I'll I'll go at each of those. I'm very I I'm very encouraged by Lonzo's play, and frankly, every time I I feel like every time I turn on ESPN or like look at general Twitter, it's like insane how many I feel like I'm reading stuff about like 19 year old Kobe Bryant. You know what I mean? I, I, everybody was such a hater because of the uh, because of Jordan, or I guess like uh, the Jordan comparisons, but I guess like a, even a better comparison might be LeBron James. When he was a rookie and like every single time he had a bad game, granted he never like shot this poorly, um, because he took like higher percentage shots. He was much bigger. Um, but every single time he had an off game, like intense, intense criticism, like he's a bust. He'll never be that good. I mean, it's great. He can pass, you know, like I wish we had more, I wish we had Twitter back when LeBron was a rookie. So we could like screen cap all the guys who are like, well, he'll be like an elite passer, but he'll never be anything else. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, yeah. it's, it's just like so funny to me how guys, how everybody like jumps to these conclusions on Lonzo's shooting. The weird thing to me is I feel like he does not, it, some of this is, I'm not saying all of this is, or like a huge, even a huge percentage of this is mental, but I think there's a good deal of mental, some mental thing going on here um, when when it comes to his jumper because this guy is not like uh, I'm trying to think of a good example like maybe Emmanuel Mudiay not now it's so it's hard to remember but like Emmanuel Mudiay like his first month in the NBA where like you would see these people post these clips on Twitter. And he would just be like horribly bricking these shots. And you would just like watch this and be like, wow, this guy is never going to have a jump shot. And obviously now he's like not bad, right? Um, Lonzo Ball, when he misses his jump shots, I feel like, okay, in a game he shoots four for 15, which is 26%. But of those 11 misses, like not all misses, I guess in my eyes are created equally. He misses a lot of like, that shot was right online, but like, 
a little short. That shot was right on line, but a little long. That shot, he just straight up got tapped because it just spun right out. Um, I feel like he has a disproportionately high number of those. I don't think he's going to finish the season like um, shooting, you know, probably not averaging like 40% on the season. I mean, although, I don't know, it's still early. Who knows? Anything could change. But I, I think he will go through stretches where he is consistently shooting over 40%. It won't be this like one game where he shoots 45 or 50% and then like five games in a row where he shoots 18 to 30%. You know, I think he will have stretches where he is consistently hitting his shot. Uh, but I'm just encouraged by pretty much everything he does out there. Um, he moves the ball. He's not like just a stat, a stats guy. Like he makes the objectively right play every single time. Uh, before we went on this road trip, we had like uh, the previous three games or something before this road trip, he had one turnover total in three games. Um, and, you know, two of those three games were at home. And then like he closes off the road trip with four, uh, three games in a row, four turnovers. So that's just growing pains. And I think part of that is, again, just like getting accustomed to playing on the road in hostile environments and all this and that, 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 that people talk about. But um uh, yeah, overall, very encouraged defense miles a- ahead of what, where I thought it would be at this stage. And it's very encouraging to me that if Lonzo ball was just like an average player offensively, he would probably be like in the converse. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say he's, I, I think he would definitely be in the conversation for top three Ricky performing so far. It's just his offense, his shooting has been so bad that it's kind of taken him out of that, but everything else has been like pretty stellar in my opinion. Yeah. I would say you have to balance it out, right? I mean, his offensive game and offensive shooting and efficiency has been so, so poor that usually if you weren't a good player, there's no way someone could play you out there, you know, and yet he's still getting, you know, 30 plus minutes and is actually a net positive on the court. So if he was just even average offensively, who knows where our team could be. But the fact that he's still contributing in spite of uh, the poor shooting percentage, I think is encouraging. With regards to passing the ball, I think he's shown us, I mean, obviously his biggest we- biggest weakness coming out of college was, can this guy play pick and roll? Can this guy create out of the pick and roll? And in the NBA, obviously he's shown that he can, you know, yeah. that that's not really a problem. And I like that his passes are kind of created by him. You know, he's getting screens. He's like throwing it, throwing lobs up to guys like Brooke Lopez and Julius Randle. They're not all, they're not all those passes where guys are just coming off screens and he's just chest passing it to them and they're hitting their shots. You exactly. Know? A lot of these passes he's creating on his own off the pick and roll. Um, sometimes he'll, he'll drive it and then quickly scoop. You know, he, he likes to do that little whip no look pass like from his elbow or something to guys that that catches defenses off guard so that's been really great so i think yeah there's a lot to be a mind here mind positively here for lonzo ball the the triple double especially came during a time when everybody was panicking and stephen a smith was saying weird stuff on first take or whatever the heck show he's on on espn (laughs) saying i'm really worried about lonzo ball okay i am worried (laughs) And then Lonzo Ball responded immediately after that by getting a triple-double. Um, against the Suns, 7-5-5. He did only play 28 minutes and didn't play in the fourth quarter. 
Um, but I thought he played solidly um, against the Suns as well. So I think this next home stretch should be good for him. Hopefully he'll be able to find some footing with regards to shooting. Um, yep. He hit one of those really <laughs> far three-point shots that he used to make a lot of in UCLA yeah. against the Suns where he kind of stepped back, I think, and shot it over Alex Len too. He so over Len, yeah. Hopefully that'll get him going from the outside. But I think slowly but surely when it comes to Lonzo Ball and his offensive game, you know, he's only averaging... 9.5 points and at the end of the day if he tops out at 11 points by the end of this season but raises his efficiency to around 40 percent shooting i could care less because like you said he's still a very useful player uh in spite of that and so that's and the fact that he's this good already defensively is is very encouraging and also one of the main reasons why you can keep him out on the floor and not really lose anything. Obviously, right now, the Lakers as a whole, as a team, they are not good offensively, objectively. They are really solid defensively. Yeah. Um, it seems now, like we've been talking about, defense seems to be the foundation that this team is set upon, which sounds ridiculous to say, yeah. but it is. It's staying consistent. And so now, slowly, they can start to build up their offense, right? Yeah. And I want to say this isn't all just on Luke and the coaching staff in terms of why aren't we seeing better plays run or how come we're not seeing Brooke Lopez on the baseline more for three-point shots because that's his best you know, spot. I think a large part of it, too, is this roster is kind of imbalanced, you know? Like, KCP's not really a good shooter. Jordan Clarkson can get kind of hot, and we found out Brooke Lopez is not Kevin Love, you know? He'll have some games where he hits six threes, and then other games where it's just not going at all, you know? So I think part of this also rests on the front office. I don't know what they're going to do at the trade deadline or what they're going to do to improve the team, but we just don't have shooters, you know what I mean? I don't know if you feel that way, like... I, mean, I, I think schemes can be implemented, but also we're just not a good shooting team in terms of personnel. So I generally do agree with you. And and the point that I was going to make, and this is, I'll tie this back to Lonzo a little bit, but so we're last in the NBA in three-point shooting. Um, and beyond that, we take like, I think third to last the amount of attempts because we are that not unconfident in our three-point shooting. And there was some other stat that like, I mean, we're shooting 30% as a team from three, which is horrible, but there is some other stat that I don't know what the updated number is. It probably inflated a little bit, but I'm pretty sure we are shooting below 30% on uncontested threes. You <laughs> know what ridiculous. I mean? So it's like, it's like to your point that you were just making, well, the one point about Lonzo that I was going to make is amazing. A guy is averaging 7.2 assists. When his team is shooting that poorly on uncontested threes. But the second point I was yeah. going to make was, um, you're, t- I, I completely agree with you about the scheme thing. It's like, we have an offense that I think as they are slowly implementing different pieces of it throughout the course of the season is getting us better and better looks. It's just like Kyle Kuzma is like our best three point shooter and he shoots like 33%. Yep. You know what I mean? So like, like you said, Brooke Lopez, I mean, actually, technically, Brooke Lopez is, he's shooting 35%, which is actually better than what he shot last year, I believe. Um, actually, Jordan Clarkson's our best shooter, but oh, in spite right, of his right. hot streak, we just, it's just not believable because we still think of him as this like microwave yeah. sort of player. So, but we'll give it up to Jordan Clarkson. But yeah, yeah. But look, it's like, okay, so in your starting lineup, you're starting f- five guys who shoot 35% or less. And 35% is the cap. I'm talking about like 35, 33, 
two guys shooting 31 and Lonzo shooting like 28 or something. Okay, so that's your starting five with three-point shooting. Then you go off your bench with Nance out. Randall cannot shoot threes at all. I mean, he hit one in the last game, but he does not look confident taking threes. Corey Brewer not can't shoot threes. Jordan Clarkson, um, he's been hitting his threes, so I'll give him credit. One guy off the bench. Um, and then between, you know, whoever is in the rotation at that time, between Vander Blue, Josh Hart, Tyler Ennis, none of those guys are really amazing three-point shooters. Like Hart, he got off to a hot start, but then he kind of hit that, like, oh, that was kind of like rookie beginner luck a little bit. Like, I don't want to get into too much detail. I feel like with him, it was pretty, me- it was like kind of a mental thing too. Cause his form started to look super weird. Um, so it looked like he was overthinking it, but anyway, long story short, like you're right that there, I don't know what kind of move the front office would make, especially given we're trying to preserve cap space term. but to the extent they can get anybody who can hit a three, it's going to help us a lot because 14 for 33, you might look at that, which is what we, uh, I'm thinking, just thinking out loud here. 14 for 33 is what we shot last night from three against the Suns. And you might look at that and be like, oh, whatever, it's a big fluke, like 42%. But it's like, okay, yeah, they made their shots last night. But yes, it is in fact the case that normally they are getting like 20 wide open threes a game. They just don't hit them. Um, this isn't a situation where, oh, our offense is just getting so bogged down. And, you know, it's like when you think about the Byron Scott era, when we had like D'Angelo and, and Lou Williams and Nick Young and these guys who actually could shoot threes, but our three point shooting percentage was still like last in the NBA because we would get so bogged down in this horrible offense that we would always take like a fadeaway contested three at the buzzer. Yeah. God, I, it like makes me cringe thinking about those times, but that's what happened at those times, right? And this t- this situation, that is not the case at all. We are getting good, wide open looks within the flow of the offense, um, with it, with time left on the clock, like not just a last resort shot, and we're just not hitting it. And you know, last place in the NBA three point shooting, middle of the pack in the NBA overall field goal percentage, so. In the modern NBA, like those, those two things normally don't go together so well. So it shows that we're doing other things right. Um, but yeah, the three point shooting, I think a lot of that is personnel. I, I, I personally don't put a ton of blame on the front off or on the coaching staff for that. Yeah, definitely. And then I, I guess the, to put a positive spin on it, maybe everybody is just working their way into getting their shot in form. I guess we can hope for yeah, that, that everybody again, just like, marginally improves. So like, look, if Lonzo, I think like we set like a low three point shooting estimate for him at like 33%. 30. Yeah. yeah. Or something like, like low thirties. So. He's currently shooting 25% and he takes five threes a game. So if just he raised his percentage like 5% or, you know, five to 8%, it would significantly boost up everybody else. And I think three point shooting, it really is one of those things where like when guys start hitting their threes, it's not like, I think, I think it kind of their teammates feed off of it. Right. Cause it's not like KCP is not thinking in his head, like, okay, now I am the only guy on this entire roster who can hit a three, so I better hit them. So, I mean, if if we could just get a, you know, 2% bump from everybody, we're going to be miles ahead. <laughs> we're going to be miles better offensively, and then we know our defense is going to be there. And then, 
Yeah, hopefully we'll get on a more consistent run here. So before we get to our last segment where we are going to touch upon Julius Randall, we're going to throw it over to our sponsors once again, and we will catch you after the turn. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it. And two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. Now, I personally haven't started this, you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it, and they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair, and you shoot it over, and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you, and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, uh, plus now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on, what are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. All right, so we are back, and we're going to close this show out by talking about Julius Randle once again, because I think he is the most interesting player on this team right now, just because he has played so well this season, but his future still remains murky with regards to the Lakers, what they plan to do in the offseason with the two-max superstar plan, and even in spite of the fact that there are ways to still keep Julius Randle and his $12 million cap hold, the way he's been handled kind of leaves that in doubt, at least in the Lakers' Twitter sphere's viewpoint, and I guess maybe maybe even in my my viewpoint as well, just because before we started this road trip, Tommy, I thought you did a good job breaking down, I guess, contextually why he's been getting so few minutes, even in spite of the fact that Larry Nance is out, um, based off of, you know, matchups against Yusuf Nurkic, Brooke Lopez needed to be in the game, against Memphis again situationally it just made sense to give most of the minutes to Kyle Kuzma and you know have Bogut in as well but I guess when it came to the Boston Washington games you know he's played really well throughout this entire stretch here shooting above 50 percent you know he was 16 and 12 against Boston um, shooting 56 percent from the field he was 11 and 9 against Washington but only played 22 minutes against Boston he only played 21 minutes um, he was inserted a little earlier than usual against Milwaukee, and he had finished with 27 minutes. Against Milwaukee, he had 17 points, 9 rebounds. But outside of that, it's still a little strange and peculiar that Julius Randle, with as well as he's been playing and how the team seems to play better when he's on the court, seems to go on these runs against Boston when he was on the court. That's when you know the Lakers fought their way back. That Luke has still kind of... One, only given him backup center minutes, although that kind of changed against the Suns when he played with Bogut. But but yeah, I, I don't really know if we can explain how he's been handling Julius Randle in these last few games, at least from my end. It seems I think I a can. little peculiar. Oh, you can't? Okay, I'll, I'll <laughs> wait till you do it. Um, but I don't know. Is there is there some sort of 
front office management thing going on behind the scenes that we don't know about? Is there like a Julius Randle conspiracy going on here? Because if you remember last week, one, the Luau Dang news came out, you know, publicizing that Luau Dang and the Lakers are looking to find an amicable way to part ways, find a trade for him, stretch him, waive him, etc. And then one of those reports also brought up the fact that other teams would be interested in taking Luau Deng on if they could get a Brandon Ingram, a Kyle Kuzma, or a Julius Randle. So Julius Randle's name was brought up there. And then prior to the Lakers' bout against Boston, Adrian Wojnarowski randomly was on TV before the game talking about how Julius Randle's days with the Lakers are, are numbered. And I thought that was a really strange thing for Woj to come out and say. Usually Woj doesn't just say stuff to say stuff. And usually there's back channels that feed him certain things to say to the public media. And so putting those things together and then just the way that Randall's minutes just haven't been there in spite of the fact that he is every time he's been on the court he has played well he's balled out and the team has played well with him on the court is there something to be said here about the Lakers maybe behind the scenes because the only explanation that I have if we're going down the conspiracy route is that you know, Luke Walton does not want to implement Julius Randle too fully with this team if he knows eventually they're just going to trade him away. So, which which makes, I, I guess it makes sense if you're going down this route in terms of this is why he's only gotten 20 minutes. You know, why give him 25 to 28 minutes and implement him with all these guys if at the end of the day you're just going to take him away even even though he's playing that well is that conspiracy on the table could there be a conspiracy where the lakers are telling him hey just just play these backup center minutes and we promise by the trade deadline we'll either find a home for you so just continue to play nice say nice things to the media don't complain or we'll just up your minutes by then if we can't you know find a trade par- partner for you and we'll continue to assess your future with us moving forward so I, I, I don't know which, which way you're looking at it, if you just have like another rational explanation of how Luke's handling his minutes. I think a lot of people are frustrated and confused with how Julius Randle has been been handled. That I think that's why people are going to these conspiracy theories, including Coach Calipari going on Twitter, talking about Julius Randle and how he's taken his situation really well and not complained, all that stuff. So there's a lot of weird things going on um, externally with Randle as well. It's been good that Randall hasn't complained a lot about it or pouted the way he did to start the season. But given all of that, yeah, I'm not sure if if you buy into any sort of conspiracy theories going on with the front office mandating things to Luke Walton, or really you just think it's a scheme thing. I honestly still think it's a scheme thing. And I think for all these games, it's funny because I guess I must have just been busy or something this past week because I've been staying out of like Twitter and all this stuff and just in, and I, and staying off of our thread where we talk about this for the most part, I guess, but I, uh, I kind of viewed all four of these games as perfect management of Randall's minutes. And I think it's funny because people, uh, want to keep saying like, oh, why doesn't Randall get, get in more? Because, you know, when he's out there, he has such a positive impact. But I think that what people are overlooking is, and I will give Luke Walton a lot of props here. I think Luke Walton has done a much better job this year as opposed to previous years of putting his guys in positions to succeed on both ends of the floor, not just offensively, you know, but also factoring in defense. And I'm just going down the line, like starting with the Boston game, 
Aaron Baines and that Daniel Theus dude who's like <laughs> six nine, like three hundred pounds. That dude was like a tank. Those guys were both just like completely punking us in that game. I mean, we are a pretty good rebounding team considering we don't have a ton of size, especially off the bench. Um, we were out rebounded offensive rebounds in that game. Theus had three, and Aaron Baines had five. I think in those types of situations where you're just getting brute strength out of the way, like Luke's solution, and at least in the second half, I think was to just give more minutes to Brooke Lopez. In the first half, I will acknowledge, okay, so let's say Randall had 21 minutes in this game. Maybe he should have had 25. And where would those minutes come from? I think in the first half, Luke Walton got too cute with the rotation. I thought that... You know, in if you're playing NBA 2K or if you're like a football coach or something, like maybe you could make the argument that like I just thought he was trying to be too Brad. He was trying to beat Brad Stevens at his own game. You know what I mean? Like Brad Stevens plays this big ass dude Theus off the bench who's just going to knock people around, and I'm sure Luke saw that in the scouting report, and it was like, okay, I'm going to encounter that with Bogut. Like, you know, I I see your blue card and I counter with a red card type of thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. and I thought that was him being a little bit too cute. And I'm sure in hindsight he would admit, like, yeah, that was probably a mistake. So that's that game. Washington, he played about half the game and Washington start, starts Gortat. So Gortat is going to eat that fool up in the post. You know what I mean? He's like a very skilled post player. Besides the strength, he has the height. Um you know, he can do the sweeping hook shots and all this and that. Uh, so I, I think because of that reason, you needed to have more size out there. Uh, and, you know, he basically split the minutes with Brooke Lopez in that game. Brooke only played 22. So he played less minutes, or he played more minutes than Brooke in that game. Milwaukee, the matchups called for it. So not a surprise. He played his most minutes of like the entire season, I think, actually, 27. And he probably would have played more, but he had five fouls in the game. And last night, same thing. Bogut was the, that time, you know, Luke's, uh, match of play paid off. I, I think Alex Len kind of punked Randall in the last game a little bit. Uh, I'm talking about the last game we played them in, in October, uh, on the offensive boards. And, um, I think Luke this time was like, okay, well, I can't play Randall at the five in this game because I don't want him to get punked by Len and, Look, this was a close game. Like, if Alex Len came in off the bench and started gobbling up a bunch of offensive rebounds, maybe we lose the game. You know, or Tyson Chandler, same thing. So I think we needed more size. He went with more size. And he adjusted his lineup so that Randall wouldn't play only, like, 12 minutes. He let him play at the four. And then there, I think you saw, like, okay, here are the limitations of Julius Randall. If Julius Randall played like this last year, with that roster that we had last year, I don't think there's any question that we would consider him like a starting caliber player, like definitely a part of our core. Like to the extent we have to let him go, it's going to be a huge disaster. You know what I mean? The problem is last year, it's like, okay, we were starting Nance and Randall for most of the season, or at least at the end, but we were also starting three other guys who were very good shooters. You know what I mean? We are starting like, uh, D'Angelo Russell, who could hit threes at a better clip than pretty much anybody on our current team. Um, Nick Young, way better than anybody on our team. 
a lot of the as many of those games we were starting Lou Williams who could rain threes um or if not starting he was the first guy off the bench raining threes so if you're going to play Randall with three guys who could just rain threes all night he's going to have no problem i don't think it's a coincidence i mean besides the low number of minutes that Randall's max assists in a game this year have been 3 he's only had 3 a couple of times he's never had more than 3 and he had like a few triple doubles last year um and that's because Randall's weaknesses are really, really, really highlighted when he does not have spacing around him. So when you put him at the four with a true center, his his weaknesses are really highlighted. If your other players are Corey Brewer, who can't shoot, um, Vander Blue, who can't really shoot threes, and Jordan Clarkson, who's your only other good shooter. So I think there's a good – I think – Randall has looked really good this year, and I think that's due in part to Luke Walton not putting him in a ton of situations to just completely uh, get worked on both ends. And, you know, it's certain things. It's like Randall, I I think he's improved a lot as a player. I think he's like – I don't want to say light years, but he has improved way more than I thought he would in just one one season – and despite that, this guy, last three games, three turnovers, four turnovers, four turnovers, he's had my, like many, many three tur- turnover games. I think half the games we've played, he's had three turnovers um, or more. So those types of things, when you're playing 18 minutes a game at the power forward position, should like that should not happen. You know what I mean? So he's not – he hasn't been 100% completely perfect. I don't think – I don't think Luke's management has of him has been that bad. I won't say it's been perfect, but it definitely hasn't been that bad. And Brooke Lopez has been like our most one of our most steady players, and he's only playing 24 minutes a game. So it's like, you know, or 25 minutes a game. So it's like Brooke is getting those 25, which is about where we projected him coming in. Randall is getting his 20 minute. He's averaging about 20 minutes at the back of five. You know, to the extent there's some floater minutes in there, that's probably due to when Nance was in the lineup. Um, uh, or maybe, you know, like put, throw some of those to Boga too. But like, I guess my, my question is when people question the minute management, I just don't see what else Luke could do. The only other thing is to Kuzma, like, Kuzma. You know, Kuzma, I, mean? I think there's the that's the one argument that I think you can say like, well, why is Kuzma playing 40 minutes one game or like, you know, he's averaging and, and like fair. 35 minutes. So and you can fair. give and, some minutes to. Julius. And I and that was going to lead into my next point a little bit, which was the only criticism I have of Luke with, with regards to his management of of uh, Randall is I would like to see him try the Randall and Lopez hybrid lineup a little bit more. Yeah. Like when you take Lonzo out of the game to put in Clarkson, because I think Clarkson and Randall play really well together. Take Randall, put Randall in for Kuzma at the same time. So you stagger both of those positions. I think Luke has done a good job of staggering his guards. He'll take out Lonzo first and then he'll start the second with Lonzo and he'll leave KCP in for the entire first almost. Uh, or not almost, like usually he does leave him in for the entire first. Um, I think you can also stagger your four. So take Kuzma out, put in Randall at the four, let him play together with Lopez for a little bit, and then slide him over to the four when you bring in um, Brewer and like, uh, uh, you know, whoever else. So 
I think that's one thing that Luke could do differently. I will say, like, again, just to give him a little bit of Luke a little bit of credit, Kyle Kuzma plays 31 minutes a game and he averages under two turnovers, two turnovers a game. And he just like he makes a lot of like he doesn't get that many assists, but he makes a lot of plays with the ball, whether that's driving to the basket or you know, making the hockey assist. I'm frankly shocked that in 31 minutes per game as a rookie for somebody who dribbles as much as he does and who sets as many screens as he does, that he is under two turnovers a game. So it's trade-offs. Like if you're going to lower Kuzma's minutes, that's fair. And I, I, I agree with your line of thinking that you don't want to burn him out. The last five games since Nance has been hurt, he's been playing like 36, 37 minutes a game. Um, that can come down a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I try to look at the pros and cons of both sides. You put in Randall for more minutes and his turnovers are high and we're all going to be like pounding our heads against the wall being like, oh my God, get this guy out. Like like yeah. we were last year. I'm not saying that's going to happen for sure, but I just think No, that- I think, yeah, sorry. I think what you're trying to say at the end of the day, and I actually agree with you. I'm just trying to throw the other side into into play here, the conspiracy theorist side, because I mean, it is kind of peculiar that on one end you get such a disparity of minutes from Kuzma and then Randall. Um, and then the inconsistency in, in which the, these positions are being staggered. But I actually agree with you. I think at the end of the day, you're, all you're saying is less is more with Julius Randall, right? Yeah. Cause less is more with regards to Jordan Clarkson. So you can exactly. look at it the same way, right? You, you're getting the most out of Jordan Clarkson because you know, at the end of the day, 28 minute Jordan Clarkson isn't as good as 20 minute <laughs> Jordan yeah. Clarkson, at least, at least this year and the, at least the way that Luke is fashioning his players to play, you know, with a faster pace and everything as, as we've seen from Jordan Clarkson and as we've seen from Julius Randle, he's still producing, right? I mean, because of the pace we play and because of how efficient and how much they, they've both improved. I mean, they're still getting their counting stats. I mean, obviously, we'd love Julius Randle get 20 and 10 or whatever, but there's no guarantee that he would do that even in 28 minutes. And like you said, he may be getting more turnovers. He may be screwing up the offense or or something like that, you know, with more usage. And we've seen over the years that, do you know why Julius Randle is so hyperactive this year? It's not only because of the, a large part is due to his off-season regiments and, you know, him getting his body right. But also it's like, He's doing it in such a contained amount of minutes that he's just going all out in those exactly. minutes. You know what I mean? So he has energy for both ends now, and he's not as tired as he was. I'm sure this is improving his stamina, his endurance to eventually take on more minutes. Obviously, he can right now take on those minutes, but just the way that Luke is divvying out his minutes, I mean, this is why you get the more controlled Tasmanian devilish Julius Randle that's actually productive in this limited time span. And I think the people who are like, it feels like Luke Walton's doing this to to drive his trade value down so that the Lakers can keep him. And I was like, that sounds ridiculous because yeah, to me, yeah. if there's a team that's actually interested in Julius Randle, they could easily look up the advanced analytics and be like, actually, this is the best Julius Randle has ever played. Yeah, and I, also, he's a more you know ubiquitous player. He has tons more utility as a guy who I know that I can put in for 20 minutes and will be this active and this efficient and not pout about it. I could start him or I could keep him off the bench. And because of those things, I feel like he hasn't done anything to lessen his trade value. So if that's what people think Luke is doing or what Luke is trying to do, in the conspiracy theorist rabbit hole, it's not working because Julius Randle to me is his trade value is the highest it's ever been. Yeah. And yeah, at the end of the day, I agree with you. 
less is more. I just would like to see it a little more um, balanced in terms of hopefully we can get Julius to like 25 minutes instead of 20. So I'll let you wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, just to wrap it up, I mean, this guy is playing 9.1, so almost 10 minutes less per game than he played last year. Despite 10 minutes less per game, he is only averaging 1.6 less points per game than he did last year. He is extremely efficient. I know a lot of people would say, like, okay, well, yeah, well, he's so efficient now, so play him more. But again, it's like we've been beating over like over and over again, it's not the case that he would play this efficiently if he was playing 28 minutes a game. So, you know, 20, he's playing 9.1 less minutes per game. His turnovers are up um, in 9.1 less minutes per game. Um, his fouls are the same, um, but his blocks are double. His field goal percentage is 10 percentage points higher, which is like one of the craziest Ridiculous, jumps I've yeah. ever seen. I feel like, cause it's not like he's not taking shots. He's still taking shots. So field goal percentage way up. Um, rebounds, if you average it out per 38, I'm sure, or per 36, excuse me, it's, I'm sure it's about the same. Um, assists, only 9.1 minutes less per game. But like I said, last year he averaged 3.6. And this year he's averaging 1.5. He's only, he's only uh, had three assists a handful of times. And like I talked about earlier. On this team, I don't think you want him really playmaking off his own dribble anyways. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. But again, like it just to show that part of the reason he was so effective at that stuff last year was because he had so many shooters around him. Like yeah, we had a lot right, of right. shooters. Like we kind of took it for granted actually how many shooters we had last year. Like we won so many games just by getting hot shooting threes and doing nothing else. Um so when you don't have that, I think, I guess, and I'll just wrap up with this point. I know I've been saying kind of the same thing over and over, but but I think people are imagining this year's efficiency, Julius Randle, with last year's, like, minutes contribution and overall game impact. And I you can't equate these two things because it was a completely different circumstance last year. If Julius Randle was playing like this last year, he would have been, like, a borderline all-star. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. because... Because our roster doesn't really cater itself to his certain of his strengths, you just play to his strengths that we can cater it to. And to the extent we get better shooters moving forward, like I have no doubts, for example, if we replace Corey Brewer with a three uh, off the bench who could actually shoot threes, Randall's minutes at the backup four would probably go up. You know, but it's just like because of the circumstance, this is what Luke has to do. And and uh, like you said, Julius Randle's value has never been higher. So I think he's doing something right. Yeah, I agree. Less is more. I think the the only people who are really, you know, banging it over the head that Luke is doing a poor job are the ones who are Julius Randle stands. And if you look at it, I think if you look at it a little more objectively, there might be a method to the madness. At the end of the day, still TBD, but I am on the side of, I think, there is, you know, some method to the madness. And I think Luke Walton, with how he's gotten this team to buy in as a defense first team, and then hopefully slowly the offense rolls around. We are six and eight. We are now, proje- we're currently projected to be a 40 win team, which is which pretty is incredible. Absurd, yeah. It's absurd. It's a 40 win team with a, a rookie that's shooting under 30% and a Brandon Ingram who's still trying to find his way in the NBA, you know? Yep. So, with all those things considered, I think we're doing just fine. And if we can keep this pace, we're going to be great. You know, we're going to look like a solid team. And you can obviously just incrementally add those 
you know, the improvements that will just naturally come by default as the season progresses. So with that said, we'll leave it there. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. Help us get to 5,000. We are at 208. But you know what? It doesn't matter because women, I don't know what that means, but we do it for, <laughs> we do it for the ladies. So give us rating and reviews. Jordan Clarkson, he does it for the ladies. He's been playing well. He's been balling out. We play against the Sixers tomorrow night or tonight, depending on when you're listening to this. And if we can keep it competitive, I'll be really happy because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are beasts. And if we can somehow get a win, I'll probably put that at our number two best win this season right under the Washington Wizards game. So we'll see. Hopefully we can trust the process tomorrow and beat the actual TTP. Yeah, it's FTW versus TTP. For the women versus trust the process. All right, Tommy, I will catch you later. Later. Peace. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.